I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. The first episode of 2023. Wanted to wish you all a very, very happy new year. Wanted to thank you all for your support throughout 2022, which has been a really amazing year, uh, not just for the Chronicles of Aguna, but for me, you know, in so many different ways. Um, you know, I'm so delighted that I've been able to continue doing what I love every year I get through kind of doing this job and, and not having to go back and get a proper job, uh, if you want to put it that way. Um, I'm really, really grateful for, and that's massively down to you guys. So I just wanted to start off the first episode of 2023 by saying a massive thank you to every single one of you for your support throughout 2022. Uh, we're going to do more. We're, we're going to make it bigger. We're going to make it better. We're going to keep going, uh, keep progressing, keep growing. Uh, and I'm really, really looking forward to what this year holds. But as I say, wanted to start off the program by saying a big, big thank you to every single one of you, because without you guys, none of this would have happened. Um, the podcast wouldn't be something that I could dedicate so much time to. I wouldn't have had so many other opportunities in, in the world of football media, which ultimately uh, lead to career progress, which I'm obviously buzzing about. So yeah, just wanted to say a massive, massive thank you. I also want to say a big thank you uh, to Mr. Hayhow over at the Cincinnati Gooners for sending me this lovely uh, Cincinnati Gooners Arsenal cap, um, which is amazing. Uh, really like it. Thank you so much. I thought I'd chuck it on because yeah, it, it beats uh, it beats doing your hair, doesn't it? On the New Year's Day at nine o'clock in the morning when you've had a bit of a long night the night before. Um, I was at the Amex Stadium yesterday. Uh, I took the decision, um, well, I was offered the opportunity to go and work on the game. And I took the decision that Arsenal are just so good at the moment. And, and things are so brilliant at the moment that even though it was New Year's Eve, and even though I wasn't going to get back to London until around about 10.30, uh, maybe even 11pm, which would mean I'd miss the bulk of whatever it was we were going to do as a family on New Year's Eve. I decided to do it anyway. Um, and I'm so glad I did because the performance in large spells was brilliant. The result is obviously huge. The significance of what happened yesterday, I think, is going to be massive, given that Manchester City dropped points and given that we're now seven points clear at the top of the pile. I mean, if you'd have asked me at the start of the season whether I thought this was even possible, I'd have told you no, point blank no. To see Arsenal where they are now, it's a testament to all of the groundwork, all of the foundation work that Mikel Arteta and Edu and these players have been doing, even in, you know, the past when we couldn't quite see it ourselves. This, we were always building towards this. We were always building towards having a team that would be consistent, a team that would be able to pick up results, a team that would play an exciting brand of football, a team that were fearless, that would go away from home to the likes of Brighton, who have had a, a really good season so far, and take the game to them from the very off. I've talked time and time again about the fast starts. I've talked time and time again about the way Mikel Arteta wants his team to get at people from the off and to try and catch them cold and how, you know, that was something that we as a club always used to suffer from, you know, going away from home especially and coming up against teams that were up for it from the beginning. And we used to ask the question, why are we not up for it this way? Why are we not 
this motivated right from the off. Whatever Mikel Arteta does in the changing room before games, whether it's drawing heart diagrams or whatever else uh, we saw in the Amazon documentary, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that it seems to work. Because once again, it was a fast start. It was a sharp start. We caught Brighton cold and we put them on the back foot from the very, very beginning. And that's so key. It really is. We talk about the fine margin sometimes that you need to, uh, you know, to prosper in this league and, and the way you need things to go your way. The things that you can impact, like the way you start football matches, it's so important that you get them right. And there will be things that come your way in this league that you can't impact and you can't do an awful lot about that. But if you do what you need to do, if you perform to the best of your ability, if you go into games and, and sort of believe, then more often than not, with the talent that we have, we're going to come out on top. And that's exactly what happened yesterday. Seven points clear at the top of the Premier League. It's, it's, it's so weird because obviously I'm delighted that we're seven points clear at the top of the Premier League. But I wasn't mentally prepared for a title race. I wasn't mentally prepared for the possibility of Arsenal challenging Manchester City all the way. I wasn't mentally prepared for the emotional roller coaster that comes with being in the title race. And as much as I'm loving it and as much as I'm buzzing, I feel sick to the stomach because I'm so desperate now for Arsenal to go on and achieve it. I'm so desperate for the club's decision to stick with Mikel Arteta, even when there was so much noise from the outside, to pay off. I'm so desperate for... Some of those people that, as we've mentioned before, who were super anti Mikel Arteta, were super anti uh, some of the players we've got. I mean, I remember last season having debates with people in the chat box about Martin Odegaard, people telling me that he's not good enough, you know, that he doesn't score enough goals, that he doesn't provide enough assists, that he doesn't impact games enough, that he doesn't grab games, as, as people like to say here in England, by the scruff of the neck. Well, what are they saying this season? What are they saying this season about the machine, the monster that Mikel Arteta has built? You know, we're without Gabriel Jesus at the moment. And that was supposed to be the falling off point for us. That was supposed to be the injury that pushed us over the edge. That was supposed to be, um, you know, the the game that, uh, sorry, the, the injury problem that really derailed us. And the, the thing is, look, we haven't won the title, okay? We're, we're still a long way from that. And, you know, I'm I'm finding it hard not to start thinking about the future. Obviously, it's one game at a time. And I've been saying that to you guys for, for months now. You know, I've been on so many radio shows and and so many other things and, and constantly get asked that question. You know, I constantly get asked that question. Is it time to believe now? Is it time for Arsenal to go on and achieve that? And for months and months and months, I've been reluctant to say it. But yesterday on the radio when I was covering the game was the first time that I allowed myself to engage in the title talk, not saying we're going to win it, not saying it's going to be easy, not saying that Manchester City uh, aren't going to come back strong because they're a team that, as we know, and as we've seen over the last few years, are more than capable of putting a 14-15 match winning streak together. I'm not saying it's done. I'm not saying that we, you know, we have to do it or this season is a humongous failure. What I am saying, though, is that we have a glorious opportunity to make history. We have an amazing opportunity to go on and achieve the unthinkable and silence so many of those doubters and critics. And that will make it all the bit sweeter, if you ask me. Seven points clear. I'm not emotionally ready for this. I'm just not. I'm just not. 
Let's say a few hellos uh, before we dive into the specifics of the game. Uh, big hello to Harvey, to Matt, to Lynn, to Raphael, to Temi, uh, to Wesbird, to Zed, uh, to Graham, uh, to GB, to Matt, uh, to Paul, who joins us from Kenya. We've got Steve in there. Chris is there. Mikhailo Mudrik, apparently, uh, is in the chat. Mohammed is with us. Connor Hanley. Uh, who else have we got? Apologies if I miss any names. I'm just scrolling through the chat box real quick. Penguna, uh, Abhishek, Sanjeev, uh, Crusader. Uh, who else have we got? Tebow is with us as well. Harvey, lots of you saying, look, don't um, don't get too carried away. Big hello to Abdi as well. Lots of you saying, don't get carried away. No, it's, it's not getting carried away. Like, I, I still don't, I, I don't sit here believing we have a divine right to win the Premier League now based on the way the season's gone so far. But the, the talk, is valid like the talk is valid to be where we are at this point the talk becomes valid and to be with the cushion that we now have you know this means to, to give you an idea of the context of this forget about the numbers forget about the seven points right because obviously you know seven points can disappear quite quickly in the Premier League but what it means is is that we can lose to Manchester City twice and still be above them what it means is that we're, what, 13? We worked, I was just looking at it yesterday before the game. Let me just double check this before I say the wrong thing live on air. But when you look at us now, okay, we sit on 43 points. Tottenham, who are fifth, are on 30 points. So we are 13 points clear of fifth place. 13 points clear. That means that the likelihood of us securing Champions League football is is very, very high. And that, remember, would have been the goal from the outset. Now, I'm not saying that that should be the only focus now and that should be the only ambition because we've exceeded that and now it's only right that people look beyond that. But, you know, that's ultimately the bottom line. That's the baseline of what we needed to achieve at the start of this season. And we're in a really good position to do that at this moment in time. And... How can you not be excited? How can you not be happy? How can you not be buzzing? And, and if you're not excited, then what's the point in being a football fan? You know, but for me right now, it's that mixture of excitement and nerves. It's the mixture of excitement and, and fear of failing to, to get something that's within your grasp and could be so huge. The fear of failure comes from all the times we've been burnt in the past. And yeah, oh, I just, I, I don't really know what more to say about this, if I'm being honest. Let's talk about the performance. Let's talk about the game specifically. Uh, horrible conditions down at the Amex Stadium. Uh, I, I drove down from London. I think I left home at about 12.30 in the afternoon. Um, I was working on the game, as I say. I was bringing live updates on BBC Radio London. And I'm always fearful of some sort of tech issue. I'm always fearful that um, my uh, my isdm box which is what we use to connect to the studio isn't going to work or that the connection's going to be bad and well, i've had that loads of times when i've been to grounds and i've had to call the technicians of the stadium to come over and and try and sort it out so i'm always wary of that so i decided to leave nice and early looked out the window saw it was absolutely pissing it down with rain it was incredibly windy as well and i knew that i wasn't going to be able to do the the speed that you know, I would have liked to have done on the motorway. And so it was going to be a little bit of a slower drive and a slower ride. So I left nice and early and it was a slower ride than I expected. But what it did was it gave me time to think about the game and to really kind of get into, in my own mind, some of the tactical battles that I expected, the significance of Brighton being without Alexis McAllister, Caicedo, and of course, Danny Welbeck, who's 
brought a real dynamism to their attack of late. Roberto De Zerbi's been really, really happy with him. And the more I thought about it on the drive down, the more I was worried that actually this could be uh, one of those days where it starts to unravel. Because Arsenal, obviously, uh, aside from the obvious, being without Gabriel Jesus, had uh, a William Saliba who played against West Ham United um, on Boxing Day, and I didn't think looked at it. Um, I thought he looked below par. Uh, Brighton seems to be a place that we don't do very well at. Brighton in general are a football club that we don't do very well against. I talked in the preview show about the relatively small history between these two sides. These two sides haven't met an awful lot in the Premier League era. It was 10 going into yesterday. It's now 11. Going into yesterday, Brighton had won four, Arsenal had won three, and there'd been three draws between the two clubs. So Brighton having the slightly upper hand in terms of the head-to-head record. Arsenal levelled that yesterday by winning their fourth game between the two sides and making it uh, four, four and three, which totals up to the 11 meetings between the two. But I was talking to Charles Watts, um, brilliant journalist. We were speaking in the press box sort of ahead of kickoff, well ahead of kickoff. We were kind of standing there like gazing out onto the pitch. And um, it was as the Arsenal players had obviously just arrived at the Amex and were coming out and sort of having a look around on the pitch and, one of the things that we, we were discussing is is why Brighton are such a bogey team for us. We couldn't work it out, you know. Why are Brighton, or why have Brighton been such a problem for us in years gone by? They don't play a particularly rough style of football, you know, the type that we traditionally struggled with. It isn't the most hostile of places, the Amex Stadium. It isn't one of those grounds where the crowd is on top of you and all of that. So why is it that Brighton always causes a problem? And then I was speaking to my colleague at 90 Min, uh, Jude Summerfield, who covers Brighton very, very closely. And, you know, he said that it just feels like Brighton, when they come up against Arsenal, seem to take a much greater proportion of their chances than they do against anybody else. And, and there's no reason for that. It's just one of those things in football that you can't quite put your finger on and you can't quite explain. So I was worried. But then when you start the game the way we did and you go out there and you score a goal after a minute, that just settles those nerves. That really, really does set the tone for the game. And it must take the stuffing out of your opponent. It really, really must. On the one hand, they'll look at it and think, look, there's plenty of time to get back in this game. But when you watch the way Arsenal have developed and when you look at where they are, currently and you look at the fact that Arsenal are just so formidable at the moment going behind must be a real confidence knock and Brighton definitely felt that I think in the early stages talking about the goal Martin Odegaard sort of driving forward really really well Uh, Arsenal ended up losing the ball the move broke down on the edge of the box and then Brighton tried to spring a counter-attack on us and then Thomas Partey who again was absolutely immense and if you are a member of the podcast on another slice. You can check out my player ratings from last night, uh, which I recorded on the drive home. YouTube members, we've been saying it for a while. We are switching over to another slice membership. So feel free to make that switch and make that change. The information is in the description below and you'll get access to that content as well. But um, Thomas Partey sort of reads the counter-attack. He reads the intentions of Brighton and he just steps in and wins the ball back from Tarek Lamptey. He just showed a little bit too much of it to him. And Thomas Partey then sets off an Arsenal attack again. And once the ball goes out to Gabriel Martinelli on the left-hand side, you know that 
Brighton are in trouble. You know that Brighton have got a problem. Martinelli was a constant thorn in their side from that left-hand side. And he gets what looked like a shot off towards the far post. It takes a couple of ricochets. And when it comes to Bukayo Saka at the far post, he's got the composure to bring it down. Doesn't snatch at the chance. You know, Bukayo Saka of 18, 24 months ago might have snatched at that opportunity, but he certainly didn't in this case. He showed that maturity. He showed the way he's developed. He brings the ball down and he just slots it past the goalkeeper and puts Arsenal in front. And then the second goal comes after Brighton just start to get a little bit more into the game. The second goal comes, the ball breaks to Martin Odegaard on the edge of the box. He hits it home and it's 2-0 to Arsenal and it's happy days. And you go in at the break and, and you're pretty content and you recognise and acknowledge that Brighton have had some interesting moments. They forced a good save out of Aaron Ramsdale in the first period. I think it was Leandro Trossard's left-footed effort that Ramsdale dived to his right for and turned around the post. But you know, you're two goals to the good, you're happy, you're flying. And then the second half starts and you're thinking in your head, just ride out the first 15 minutes, the first 20 minutes. Let's make sure that we don't give Brighton any encouragement. Don't allow them to get back in the game. And Eddie Nketiah, within minutes of the restart, goes and scores a goal. His second uh, in, in two starts since the Gabriel Jesus injury, which is massive for him, huge for him, because... I didn't think he was as involved as he was against West Ham in the build-up. Now, that's not to knock him because certain opponents won't allow that. Certain opponents won't give you that room and that, you know, opportunity to function. But, you know, for him to get two goals in two games, I mean, you couldn't have really asked for much more from Eddie Nketiah. I talked about the significance of him scoring early. I talked about how important it was for him to get off the mark early and, and really kind of... A, help his own confidence, but also give fans the confidence in him so that they do then support him that little bit more and get behind him that little bit more. Because there are people who, even without intending to, can be really negative around a player. And then that can kind of transmit across. So, yeah, look, great for him to score. And then at that point, you think, game over, done and dusted. We could start taking players off, uh, give it a little bit longer, and we can take two, three players off and focus on the big game we've got coming up against Newcastle at Emirates Stadium on Tuesday. And Mikel Arteta did exactly that. Um, you know, he got to the point where he felt that the game was was in control. He took that risk. He took that gamble and he made a couple of changes. Uh, he changed the two fullbacks. Zinchenko, who wasn't fully fit for the West Ham game and so sat on the bench, made his first start. His injury problems, you know, his first start since returning, obviously, his injury problems have been well documented. And I understand why Mikel Arteta and Arsenal probably felt the need to protect him if possible. So I understand that one. He comes off, Kieran Tini comes on. I actually think Kieran Tini as a defender is better than Alexander Zinchenko. I think Zinchenko brings a lot, but he wasn't as involved in the midfield as he normally is. He wasn't as influential on the ball, I didn't think, uh, you know, as he can be and as we've seen him be so far this season. Not his best game, but obviously coming back from, from injury problems, you can kind of forgive him a little bit. He wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination, but he wasn't, um, you know, as, as influential, as I say, as we know he can be. He comes off. And then the other one is that Ben White comes off. Now, Ben White is so important to Arsenal at the moment. He really, really is. I, I called him on the, the player rating show, Mr. Consistent, because I think he really is that. Um, uh, you know, I think he he performs to such a high level. If you look at how much joy Brighton had with Karu Matoma 
on their left-hand side when Ben White was on the pitch and you compare that to the joy they got when he was off, you know, you, that tells you in itself how important he is defensively, but how much support as well he can also offer uh, as an offensive uh, as an offensive outlet. So I thought Ben White coming off was, you know, it was probably the wrong decision in hindsight. Tommy Asu comes on and I thought actually had a bit of a stinker. I thought he really struggled uh, to deal with and, and to cope with Mitoma. And he really struggled with Brighton's threat down that left-hand side. But at the same time, you know, it's it's really easy to be capped in hindsight and say, Mikel Arteta got that horribly wrong and he almost cost us the match. What was he doing? The other substitution he made, which I thought was equally significant, was taking off Thomas Partey and replacing him with Mohamed Elneny. But again, when you think that we played on Boxing Day, that we played yesterday and that we now have a massive game coming up against Newcastle, on the third, you can understand why Mikel Arteta felt that at 3-0 up, he needed to make some changes and he needed to protect certain people. He took that gamble. The gamble was, this weakens us, yes, but does it weaken us enough for us to throw away a three-goal lead? And Mikel Arteta didn't feel it would. And, and so he took that decision. And as I say, you know, you're not taking off Zinchenko and... Um, you know, and Ben White and replacing them with a couple of kids. You're replacing them with two very, very good defenders in their own right. We talked about rustiness. Takahiro Tomiyasu certainly looked that. He struggled. He really, really did. Um, Tierney, not as much, but also wasn't uh, as defensively solid as he can be. But, you know, you're watching the game and you're so Arsenal-focused and, and your mindset is so Arsenal-centric that sometimes you you forget to give the opponent credit. And I actually think that you need to give Brighton credit for the way that they try to fight back. You know, Mitoma makes it 3-1. Um, they, they then sort of huff and puff for a little bit. And then Arsenal going out of four through Gabriel Martinelli, a goal that came about from probably the assist of the season. I've seen a few of you in the chat call it that, and I have to agree with that. Martin Odegaard gets the ball from Granit Xhaka in the middle of the park, looks up, instantly knows where Gabby Martinelli is going to be. He knows exactly what run he's going to make and he flicks it um, first time around the defender. And it's got the perfect weight. It's the perfect angle in terms of the spin on the ball for Martinelli to run onto. And I was doing my commentary at the time and, and I was I, I sort of listened to it back afterwards. And, and one of the things I said when Martinelli sort of burst through was he's got Saka square of him. All he needs to do is roll it to the England international and Arsenal could wrap this up. And instead he goes alone and you're sitting there and you're thinking, come on, do the simple thing. But when it goes in the back of the net, who cares? Who cares? And at 4-1, you think, well, that's it. It's done now. Um, if it wasn't done before, it's definitely done now. And we've taken off, you know, some players and we've changed it up. And, and actually, you know, I'm happy, you know, happy days. We we sort of survived the mini scare, but then Brighton go and get another one. And then Brighton thought they had a third, but obviously the uh, the VAR stepped in and rightly cancelled, disallowed the goal. But the second one that Brighton scored um, is really bad defending from Arsenal. Really bad defending. And and the main culprit here is, is William Saliba. And I talked about him again on the player rating show. I've seen a lot of people on, on social say he looks rusty. Rusty in what sense? Because it's not a fitness thing. It can't be a fitness thing. It's not 
anything other than him making bad decisions at this moment in time. That's how I look at it. I, I spoke after the West Ham game and I said that there was hesitation, the type of hesitation in William Saliba that essentially led to him getting caught in two minds and then not really dealing with the threat that Jared Bowen posed until it got to the point where he had to press the panic button and brought the guy down and conceded a penalty kick. And again, yesterday, when you look at that goal that Brighton scored, the ball gets dropped in between the two centre-halves. It bounces. I, I don't really, you know, people always say centre-back should never let the ball bounce. And I agree with that, generally speaking. But when you look at the, the trajectory on the pass, how flat it was, you can't really blame Saliba for not dealing with it before it bounced. I mean, he's not a bionic man. You know, we've got to be fair and honest about that. But he hesitates for me. Um and, and doesn't make his mind up. It's not clear enough in his mind what he wants to do by the time he gets to the ball. And he just takes this touch that is really poor when he probably should try and clear that or steer it back to the goalkeeper or something. Reggie says in the chat, I feel like his timing is off. That That's, that's a good way of putting it as well. I think the timing is not quite there, but that comes from you not being quick enough in your decision-making. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. And William Saliba, since he's come back to the club, has been Mr. Composed. He's rarely put a foot wrong. The one game I can think of where I thought he was quite shaky was Leeds away. But outside of that, I think he's been really consistent. These little issues that we are seeing um, with William Saliba are not something to panic about because, you know, I think we can all agree that he's proven already that he's got all the makings of a top, top centre-half and he will be that and he will get there. He is young. He's got a great coach around him. He's got a great team around him. He will come through this. He will come back bigger, better and stronger. I have no doubt about that in my mind whatsoever. But what I would say is this is almost a little bit of the levelling out of William Saliba because those types of moments they were there um, when he was at Marseille. They were there in the past. And, you know, people always used to sort of share the highlights of what William Saliba was producing at, at some of these loan clubs and would say, well, look, why aren't Arsenal using this guy? Why isn't he here? The thing is that those what those moments, like the one we saw yesterday and, and maybe at Leeds and, and maybe against West Ham, they were a lot more of a regular occurrence prior to this season. So I'm not saying that we've been you know, duped into thinking William Saliba is this top defender and actually he's not. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is that he's still very young. He's still developing. He's 21 years old and there are going to be ups and downs. And it, thankfully for us, you know, Gabriel has really been brilliant in the last couple of games and that's almost papered over the cracks with William Saliba. But at the same time, William Saliba earlier on in the season has covered for Gabriel and has been better than him at times. And And so, you know, if one dips in form a little bit, if the other one's become, uh, if the other one's being brilliant and the other one's sort of 
stepped up to the plate, then you can kind of get away with it. And when you've got such a potent attack the way we do now, you again, you know, can kind of live with these things. But look, he is a booking away from a suspension as well, which is another thing that people constantly talk about. And, you know, I don't think it would be, it would have been the worst thing in the world if he got that booking yesterday and then was going to be out against Newcastle, given that uh, Tommy Asu's back, although his performance didn't exactly fill me with confidence either. But yeah, look, not anything to majorly be concerned about or to worry about, but, you know, just a bit of a levelling out, I think, when it comes to William Saliba. Our expectations of him are ridiculous. He's 21 years old. He's done brilliantly so far, but he was never going to be without any wobbles uh, throughout the course of the season. And thankfully, they're coming in games that we're still good enough to win. And um, and and hopefully they'll be forgotten. But just a, a little reminder for him that, you know, there's certain things that he still needs to work on. I'm sure Mikel Arteta will be working on those with him. I'm sure the coaching staff around him will be helping in that sense as well. I mentioned the potent attack uh, just a moment ago. And look, we, again, I don't want to sort of beat the same drum, but we we constantly talked about what happens now without Jesus. How much of an impact does that have, you know, him being injured on our attack as a, as a unit, not just sort of from an individual perspective, because obviously Gabriel Jesus hadn't scored in quite a while. Eddie Nketi has come in and he's already scored twice in the Premier League. But the question was, how would it affect our build-up? How would it affect our overall output as a football team? And when you look at what Saka's doing, I mean, numbers-wise, look at how much he's contributing at the moment. You know, he's he's a marked man nowadays as well, right? Every side we come up against um, looks at Bukayo Saka as, as probably the main threat. Everybody doubles up on him. Everybody tries to kick him. Everybody looks to dish out the treatment and try and make it very difficult for him. But if I bring up the statistics from uh, Arsenal's Premier League campaign so far this season, and this is just Premier League games, right? I'm not looking at anything else. If I uh, just bring this up uh, in front of me. So he's got six goals in the Premier League so far this season. Martin Odegaard has got seven. Now, Martin Odegaard managed seven, I think, in the Premier League uh, all season last season, if I'm not mistaken. So he's already at this point now, what, 16 games in? Uh, which is really, really impressive. Uh, he's only paid, played 15 games. Uh, Gabriel Martinelli's got seven. Granit Xhaka's got three. You know, Eddie Nketiah's got a couple in the Premier League now. We've got two each from the two centre-backs. Thomas Partey's got a couple too. Um, what, what you're seeing now is a real spreading of the goals. And that's important. You know, it's important. It's great to have a striker that scores 20-plus goals a season, obviously. But to have that ability to spread them around the team and to, to be a threat from all different areas of the park is is so big. It, it's so big. And, you know, Jesus out, but Saka scores and Martinelli scores, and that's consecutive games for both of them. And Martin Odegaard too. I mean, he's just really taken it up a new level, hasn't he? I, I've always said that he's a really talented player, that he's a wonderful player, and I can't wait to see more of him. And I was delighted when he was named captain. Um did I have my reservations about maybe his leadership style? Yeah, I've got to be honest, because he isn't the most vocal. But when he leads by example, the way he does and turns up and performs like that week in, week out, how can you have any arguments with it? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just all working so, so well at the moment. We still lack depth. There's no question about that. And hopefully we can address that situation in January. But we're going to need a little bit of luck on the injury front. We're going to need a bit of luck in terms of player availability. At the same time, the the size of the squad 
is part of the reason why we're doing so well because yes you know it's it's vulnerable from an injury perspective but having a squad that is so closely knit and so engaged with one another and so bought into everything that Mikel Arteta puts across to them is is imperative that's why we are where we are and it's why people look at Arsenal and go why is the squad so small why have they trimmed it back so much well they've trimmed it back with the idea of rebuilding it and rebuilding it right and re rebuilding it properly but at the same time I don't think Mikel Arteta would ever want a squad that is massively over bloated in terms of numbers he knows what he wants that is a small close-knit group yes that has its risks and it has its drawbacks but it also has its advantages and I feel that Mikel Arteta believes that those advantages outweigh the risks and the problems uh, that could potentially come off the back of that. Uh, a couple of you in the chat asking about the cap. The cap is from the Cincinnati Gooners. Thank you so, so much uh, for sending that over to me. Really, really uh, do appreciate it. They're part of the Arsenal uh, America group. Uh, of course, there are lots of fan clubs across the United States. Uh, amazing to see the global reach and appeal that our beloved football club has, um, especially as Londoners, like we look at it and we're like, wow, I mean, it reaches everyone, uh, which is pretty incredible. But a big thanks to Matt Hayhow for sending uh, it over to me. Uh, thank you so, so much, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Okay. Um, let's get some of your questions. Let's get some of your thoughts. Um, you know, just to quickly summarize why you guys do that. Was it a little bit more nervy uh, than it needed to be? Yeah, it probably was. Did it feel like I was sort of being put through uh, the emotional roller coaster uh, towards the end of the game? Yeah, it did, because I felt like if Brighton's third was allowed to stand, we could have been in real trouble. Uh, we could have been in real trouble, but thankfully it didn't. The correct decision was reached. And uh, and and I think when, you know, once that goal was disallowed, it, it was it was done as a contest. It was over. And um, yeah, you know, where we, we are, where we are. It's, it was one of those classic games where at the time you're shitting it. You're watching it, you're stressed, you're struggling, you're suffering. But actually, when you get home and you watch Match of the Day, you realise that actually it was never in doubt as much as maybe you felt at the time as a fan watching on. Because that emotion that you go through during a game, it can skew your view. It really, really can. And it certainly did that for me yesterday. And it's done that for me so many times. There have been so many games over the years that I've gone to and I've thought, oh my God, we were lucky to get away with that, you know. Um, and then I've come back and watched it and gone, actually, you know, what, what was I ever that stressed about? What was I ever that worried about? The other thing to do is as well is, is to, is to, yeah, obviously focus on what your team can control and obviously focus on your own performance. But also when the dust settles a little bit, you can give credit to your opponent and Brighton are aside who have been in superb form. Roberto De Zerbi's done a wonderful job. They're brave. They're bold in their approach. I could see him because he was obviously just down in front of me from the press box going absolutely mad at his players for not at times being as, you know, as direct as it, as maybe they could have been for not being as quick in moving the ball, for not being as brave and as bold and for being a little bit scared of Arsenal at certain points in the game. Um, yeah, like it's, at, at some point you've got to acknowledge and, and realise that you're not going to have it your own way in this league of all leagues for 90 minutes every single week. There are going to be difficult periods. There are going to be parts where you're going to struggle and there are going to be moments where you have to really, really dig in. And sometimes that can be down to the quality of the opponent. And Brighton have plenty of that quality and I expect them to continue to go on and have uh, a really, really 
uh, a really good season by their standards. Okay, let's take some of your questions. There's loads coming in. I'm just going to randomly pick a few. Um, I am working again today. I'm, I'm heading down to southeast London uh, this afternoon for Millwall against Rotherham, covering that one for BBC Radio London. Really, really busy period, isn't it? The Christmas and New Year period. I feel like the few days that I took in the lead up to Christmas to kind of just chill out and unwind were, were very much necessary because the last few days have been absolutely mental. Boxing Day, I was at two games. Uh, then, of course, had work in between uh, those games. Was at Millwall on Thursday night for their game against uh, Bristol City. Was on commentary for that one. And then yesterday, uh, obviously down to Brighton. Today, I'm at Millwall again. And then on Tuesday, back at the Arsenal. So, yeah, when I when I said to you guys that I needed that little bit of a break, that's why. Because I knew that this period was going to be absolutely hectic and crazy. As much as I'm looking forward to the game today, um, championship football can be highly, highly entertaining. I've, I've found that this season. I, I can't wait to get home and, and just chill out on, on the sofa as well. <laughs> okay, uh, let's see uh, what we've got in the chat box. Do, 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 do. Let's take this one from A. Noonan, who says, is it a concern that Martinelli and Saka have not signed new contracts? Not at this stage. Um, you know, from, from all the rumours and whispers that we're hearing, it looks like Martinelli is very close to to agreeing that deal, very close to signing that deal. So I'm not massively concerned about his situation. And I think if Arsenal continue the way they're going, I don't think we'll have any concerns about most players, you know, because people want to win. You know, players want to win. We know that financially Arsenal can compete in terms of salaries, uh, in terms of wages, even more so probably now that the squad is smaller and they can allocate larger amounts to to certain players. I'm not worried about this at this point. You know, it's got to go a bit further for me to start to feel concerned. Obviously, it's important business and I hope we do get it done. The the contract situation of William Saliba as well is important. We obviously triggered that option to extend his deal till 2024 just to buy us a little bit more time whilst discussing that longer term and more lucrative deal. But yeah, I'm not massively concerned at this point. Um, not massively concerned. Westbird says, do you think that we definitely need to add in the January window? And in what area would you strengthen? It's two areas for me. Uh, I do think we need to add if we want to sustain our level. I think it's really, really important. Um, I, I'm going to say that I want to add a winger and I'm going to say that I want to add or a forward of some sort and I want to add a central midfielder. Um, Steve Stone says 50 million for white. Should we apologize to Brighton and offer some more? <laughs> well, it was really interesting because I was having a conversation on, on BBC Radio London yesterday with the guys and they were referencing a rumor that said that, you know, Manchester City were, were considering Ben White and were looking at him as a, a 70, 80 million pound player. And I just kind of turned around and said, that just goes to show, doesn't it, that when a lot of us were raising our eyebrows and surprised by the fact that Arsenal had gone that far in terms of finances to bring him to the club, they knew what they were doing because they brought in a player with immense potential whose stock is still rising. And that's what Arsenal have done really well. You know, look at Martin Odegaard now. He's much more than a £35 million player. Martinelli signed for £6 million, Bukayo Saka, a product of the academy. And you know, you're looking at these players now, you know, Gabriel, we bought him for what, nearly 30 mil, but he's obviously, you know, worth in excess of that now. William Saliba, 27 million pounds, I think is what we paid for him. Again, worth way more than that now. They've they've gambled on players 
we see it as a gamble maybe actually they probably don't they probably see it as a smart investment and uh, and what we've done in doing that is not only built a very competitive team but we've also protected ourselves as a football club and you know as long as we can keep on top of the contract situations you know there will be times where players want to leave there will be players that maybe win things with Arsenal and say look I want to challenge elsewhere I want to go abroad I want to do this I want to do that and that's all good if you've got them on long-term contracts and if you've got the ability to then bring in top dollar for them so that you can go out and replace the problem has been over the years is that we've allowed players contracts to run down because we've not been competitive or as competitive as we'd have liked and then we've had to lose them on the cheap which has meant we've then had to scramble around to try and replace them and, and maybe settle to players that we weren't necessarily keen on the, the example that always comes to mind is Henrik Mkhitaryan in for Alexis Sanchez that wasn't a fair trade not by any when you think about how important Alexis was to us that wasn't a fair trade at all but we had no choice really because of the position that we found ourselves in. Uh, GB says, uh, has Saka entered world-class territory? What sort of contract would be needed to get him to sign a new deal? Are you worried? He'd need to become up there with the club's highest paid. He'd need to be up there with Jesus and Partey. Am I worried? Not at this moment in time, because as I say, Arsenal are flying, and I think that is is half the battle. Finances, I think, you know, I, th I think we're good. I think we make... Those moves happen. I think we we have the money at our disposal to to complete those deals. It's it's about matching the players' ambition, and I think we're doing that at the moment. And that is that is the biggest part of the battle, as I say. Matt G says, "I love how Mudrick wants to join, but should we question his professionalism?" This is a really good question. Imagine if Saka was openly praising the Barcelona manager and team while under contract with us. I get what you're saying. Um, there was a, an Instagram post he put up yesterday, wasn't it, where he said, look, two fantastic managers or something, and it was a picture of De Zerbi and Arteta. You've got to remember he worked with De Zerbi, right? So there's an affiliation there um, already, and obviously he's praising Mikel Arteta, which again adds fuel to the Mudrik to Arsenal fire. I, I get what you're saying, and I wouldn't like it if I were a Shakhtar fan. You know, I wouldn't like it at all. I'd be looking at it and thinking that is a bit cringe and it's a bit desperate. But I think maybe you can question his professionalism slightly, but I think I would look at it from the other way uh, through a different lens. I would look at it as actually, you know, this is how much he wants to join this club. Um, why doesn't, you know, sorry, this is how much he wants to join this club. This gives me encouragement that he really wants to be here. And if he is here, then I'm sure we'll get the best out of him because he's desperate to do it as well. He's desperate to prove everybody, prove to everybody what a key player he can be, what an amazing player he can be. And the love that he seems to have for Arsenal at this stage is, is something that I think as Arsenal fans, we should embrace. But I also understand where you're coming from. I think you make a really valid point because if it were the other way around, you're right. I wouldn't like it at all. Uh, Kassirye says, why don't the numbers of comments um, match up to the likes on this channel? It's beyond me. Yes. What is going on? There is nearly 500 of you with me uh, on this New Year's Day morning. We've only got 96 likes on the board. So guys, please do leave a like on the video. It really, really does help. Let's try and get up to about 250 likes. It makes the world of difference. It helps the channel grow. It helps with the YouTube algorithm 
And obviously, we want to push towards that next um, target now of around about uh, 30,000 subscribers. We we made 25 ahead of the end of the year, which was what we were aiming for. We've exceeded that now, but let's push towards uh, the next target. So please do leave a like and subscribe if you're new. Also, a quick reminder, if you want to get access uh, to our premium content, you need to join up on another slice. If you're a YouTube member, uh, feel free to turn off the YouTube membership and make that switch over to another slice because eventually that is what we'll be doing. We'll be switching fully over to there. There's some premium content on there available to you and there will be premium content after every single match. So yeah, check it out. The instructions are in the description below. You need to go over to anotherslice.com. You need to create an account. Once you've created that account, you need to log in with that account and then subscribe to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. If you enter the code free trial, uh, that will give you access as well to an episode for free. You can use that code as many times as you want uh, for the time being while we're working on um, we're working through uh, giving everybody refunds uh, that's already signed up because we're going to give you uh, two months free. And for those of you that are signing up now new, you can use the free trial code and um, and access those episodes. But yeah, get get joined up. I promise you, you'll enjoy the content. I hope you'll enjoy the content. Uh, let's take a couple more before um, I dash because just got a few little bits and pieces I've got to do before I head down to Millwall this afternoon. Uh, Brian says, Harry, you are the original doubter. No matter how many bright and promising things are happening, you pour cold water on it. What? I think I've been one of the most positive people around Mikel Arteta in the Arsenal space in terms of YouTube and podcasts. I think I've been the one who's probably backed him, you know, I won't say the most because I don't know exactly how much other people have backed him, but I've been right up there in terms of my positivity towards the manager, this project. Um, I've been realistic about where we are and I've been realistic about the fact that, you know, this is a young developing team. An average age of 24 yesterday, the team that played at Brighton in the Premier League. I think I've been really optimistic. I think I've been really supportive of my club. I think I've been really supportive of the project and I pour cold water on it. Do I? I, I think I'm just cautious and careful and, and want to be realistic about what this Arsenal side can achieve. Because I think what happens when you set unrealistic expectations and what happens when you, you kind of get carried away is that you end up being disappointed and that disappointment can then, actually blur your view of how the team has actually done. It can skew your opinion on how the team has actually done when you come to make your appraisal, let's say at the end of the season. So for example, last season, obviously we were disappointed that we didn't make the top four, but we weren't ready for it. We weren't good enough for it. We picked up a few injuries and that derailed us and we couldn't cope with them. I think we're in a much better space now to cope with that type of problem than we were 12 months ago. And, you know, that's progress. That's what it's all about. But I think what happens is that people get carried away. They set unrealistic expectations. And then when you inevitably don't meet those expectations, they come down on you like a, a ton of bricks. And that is not helpful at all. I, I think if you genuinely support a club and you follow a club very, very closely, you should be able to make sensible assessments of where that club is at. Will you get carried away from time to time as a football fan? Yeah, it's in our nature and you should. That's part and parcel of the game. But I think that some people get carried away too quickly, too soon. And then their expectation levels rise beyond what they should. 
And then they become overly critical and overly negative because those unrealistic expectations that they themselves set, not that the club set, weren't met. And and I don't want to be that because one of the things I really learned um, during Unai Emery's tenure, one of the things I, I really, yeah, one of the things I really learned from Unai Emery's tenure is that if you don't, if you don't enjoy watching your football club, then what the hell is the point? You know, that's half of the battle. That is half of why we watch football. One half is to win and to be successful and to bask in the glory. But the other thing is that you want to enjoy watching your football club. Since Mikel Arteta has taken over, particularly in the last 18 to 24 months, I have thoroughly enjoyed watching my football club. Under Unai Emery, I didn't. So when we were winning, it was fine. You know, it, was, it wasn't a problem. You kind of lived with it. You know, we won the game. It wasn't great, but we won. So you can you can let that go. You can let that slide. But when we weren't picking up results and the football was shit and, and there was no direction and you didn't know where we were going and you didn't know what the end goal was, it was hard to be invested. And I don't feel that now with Arsenal. So even when we do lose, I still feel that investment, that love, that affiliation with my football club again that I started to lose during Unai Emery's tenure. That's why I've backed Mikel Arteta. That's why I've backed the current project. That's why I'm happy with where we are today. And that's why... Um, you know, I'm I'm enjoying it probably more than ever at the moment. But yeah, interesting stuff. Um, right, guys, I'm going to leave it there because, uh, as I say, uh, got to get ready, got to head off to work uh, very, very soon. But thank you again uh, for all your support through 2022. Uh, thank you so, so much uh, in advance for the support that's coming in 2023. I really, really do appreciate it. It's been an amazing year, uh, an amazing end to the year for the Gunners. Um, an amazing year for me personally as well from a work perspective uh, i hope everybody you know had a great 2022 you know it's not always in your hands and and for those that maybe didn't i hope 2023 brings you uh more happiness um wealth all of those things um wealth is health at the end of the day i'm not talking about money money i mean is it that important i mean it helps obviously but you know health is wealth and i've i've learned that over the last few months um, you know, sort of watching people very close to me and around me sort of struggling with their health. And, and you know, when you see that, you, you come to the realisation perhaps even more that it isn't about that. It ain't about money. If you ain't got your health, what are you going to do with your money? Here's what it is. Thank you all so, so much. Leave a like on the video. Please do. In fact, let's quickly check in where we are on the likes. I asked you to help us get up to around about a couple of hundred. We're on 161. Let's try and get that up to 200 by the time the outro plays. Uh, subscribe to the channel if your brand's banking you. And we will be back tomorrow with some more Arsenal-related content. Until then, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.